Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Minnesota Sports Rewind. Long from 16, and Kevin Garnett with a rebound. It was a good shot, it just yep. didn't fall for the Bulls. A 20-4 run now, the last nine minutes. Marbury kicks into the corner. Gugliotta lays it in. Beautifully done. Gugliotta with six points here. Minnesota Timberwolves are going to end the old four against the Chicago Bulls. And it's New Year's Day early. These fans react as the streamers come down. They are going absolutely berserk. The NBA Finals, well, no, not quite, but the fact that they've never beaten the Bulls Makes this like they've just won the NBA Finals or a trip to the playoffs. I got goosebumps. I just got goosebumps listening to that right there. That was amazing. How much fun was it to go back and watch that game and realize how much, just because the franchise has been so bad for so long now, how much we had forgotten about that team? There is so much to get into. Let's set the scene. This is Minnesota Sports Rewind, a brand new show on Score North as of, well, as of about a year ago, we did just a handful of episodes in podcast form, and we're bringing this back as a live Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday show here at 11 o'clock on Score North, and you can binge all of the episodes we have posted right now. Just search Minnesota Sports Rewind, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts, the Score North app. I'm Phil Mackey. That's Judd Zolgad. We got Declan Goff over here, and Tom Hanneman will join us. Later on here in about 25 minutes, which should tip you off to what we're about to dive into. And that is the trademark win at the time of the Kevin Garnett era, the rise of the KG and Stefan Marbury Timberwolves, December 30th, 1997, a 99 to 95 win over Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. And you can find the full game by just searching Bulls, Timberwolves, I think 1997. It's, it's, it's two and a half hours on YouTube, maybe even two hours out the commercial breaks. So go check it out. But just to set the scene, Judd Zolgad, the Timberwolves are coming off their first ever playoff appearance the year before. Right. They finished, I believe, 40 and 42 the year before. And so they still had not finished above 500 as a franchise, but they did make the playoffs and they were in the mix as a fast rising young team. Uh, they actually got off to a slow start in the 1997-98 season, and that game against Chicago was part of a four-game winning streak that put them over 500, that, and then they excelled the rest of the way and won 45 games. And it was essentially their uh, their ignition into becoming an above 500 playoff staple for the next six or seven years or so. Mm-hmm. So some notables about this game. The Wolves were 0-16 against the Bulls in their history heading into this season. This is not to be mistaken with the other home game the Wolves played against the Bulls a couple months later where Dennis Robin kicked a photographer. That was a different game. Yes. That was, I believe, early 1998. And... Uh, and that was the same night, I believe, that Governor Arnie Carlson closed down schools because of a blizzard or it was too cold or something. Okay. That's a different, for people wondering, yeah, that's, that's a different game. game. This is the first win over the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan in this game actually surpassed Kareem Abdul Jabbar's record of 787 games played with at least 10 points scored. Kevin Garnett, Stefan Marbury, and Tom Gugliotta all had at least 20 points for the Timberwolves. Jordan had 33. And the Wolves overcame a double-digit third-quarter deficit to win 
99 to 95. Confetti streamed down from the rafters as if they had just won the championship. And basically at that point in Timberwolves history, they did. Like that was their championship. So the Bulls had two decent built-in excuses for this game, which we can talk about too. Number one, Scottie Pippen was injured and did not play. And number two, Michael Jordan was delivered a message at halftime saying that there was a phone call that had his mother being rushed to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even make it out for the first, uh, just for like the, the shoot-around portion in the first part of the second half. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see on his face he was a little bit distant in the second half. Yeah, he, he comes back on the bench, on the Bulls bench, Phil, with 8.46 left in the third quarter. Right. So he was not back till then on the bench, much less on the court. So the call ended up being a hoax, and we'll dive into it. Uh, but uh, a distracted Michael Jordan missed a key free throw late in the game. But, hey, the Wolves don't have to apologize. They beat the Bulls. The Wolves made that very clear post game that night, too. <laughs> right. So let's start out with, with key question number one of, of many here. How far do you think the Timberwolves would have gone if one year later Stefan Marbury didn't demand a trade? Because it's amazing to watch this game and all the celebration and the vibe inside Target Center. Yep. And you thought, man, like Stefan Marbury and KG are that's it's this is the next big pairing in the NBA. And Flip and is so one, young and McHale. Did, did you see McHale in the sweater? It was he, he was still rocking the same sweater game like ten years later. But yeah, at the, the time it was yeah. But McHale looks <laughs> looks at that game like he's twenty five years old. He looks like, like a he kid. Just, he just retired a couple years he looks earlier. Like a right? pup. Yeah, he's yeah. a young man at that point. So mm. if 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 Marbury had not demanded out Yes. A year later. Yes. And it's amazing to think that like with everything they had going on and they went to a fifth game with the Seattle Sonics in a five game series in the playoffs that year, like why would he demand out and why would egos get in the way of this thing? But if they had kept that thing together and they kept the chemistry, how far like what what do you think that nucleus could have done? Boy. So that was I that team and if you go back and watch that game, it's pretty uh, crystal clear too. It's it's a young team that's mixed with veteran players who come off the bench and contribute. And I think that that team was starting to get to the point that F- Flip and McHale desired as far as personnel construction too. I think if if Steph hadn't got jealous of Garnett's stature in this town, he hadn't got, uh, and he definitely did, jealous of the fact that Garnett got paid that huge contract, which of course then brought in different um, rules about the salary cap and yeah. contracts and max contracts, that this team could have been a finals team with that group. Because think of that core group. And if you had altered that, and let's say Terry Porter leaves, Mitchell leaves, but if your core group... And I'll throw a third name in for a guy who I guess got disgruntled or things went sideways for here. But let's say Garnett, Marbury, and Googs. Let's just start there, those three. Let's say that they all get along. Let's say that they say, you know what? Garnett is the star, but damn it, we're really good. So I'll I'll take your question and one-up it a little bit because Googs, if I'm not mistaken, was the first to go. Yep. So if... I take your question and say Marbury stays. And Marbury in that era of point guards, to me, was a dynamic player. There are times... Yeah, look what he did in this game. If like, you, yeah, and guess what? He did not have a great shooting night at all. Yeah, his... But his, he dominated, but there were times he dominated that game. And so if you leave Garnett, Marbury, and Googs together, and they play that thing out, I don't know if the Wolves win a title for sure, but I think they get to a finals. Yeah, it's or more. So we had this we had a similar discussion on Mackie and Jeb with Rami this week about if the Wolves had knowing how things played out with Stefan Marbury, if they had just kept Ray Allen in the nineteen ninety six draft. And I stand by what I said on the show after sleeping on it. I think in that early two thousands period, after the Lakers had kind of dissolved their dynasty, but before LeBron James took over the league and Michael Jordan's out, yeah, you had the Spurs, but you know, you had this weak, soft spot in the NBA from like 2004 through 2008. And Gugliotta, Gugliotta was 28 years old in the 1997 season. So he, if you fast forward five or six years later, Googs would have been out of the equation by that point, by like 2004, 05, 06. Right, but let's say 2000. But, but, but even like, but let's just take the Marbury KG. Well, 2000, I think the Wolves still would have run up against the Lakers, but maybe they're playing in the Western Conference Finals or something. Right. But if you go a few years beyond that, when most superstars get to the point, Michael Jordan, uh, LeBron James, most superstars 
have to play six or seven years, be 27, 28 years old, and then they hit their championship peak and prime. Mm-hmm. And if KG and Marbury were both buying into the same vision and were both working together to build a culture and, and to build something, mm-hmm. and Marbury doesn't bleep and bail, mm-hmm. those guys are emerging into their basketball prime at 28 years old in the soft spot of the NBA's history. And like we're like literally the New Jersey Nets were coming out of the Eastern Conference. Oh, and those and finals were awful. Like young LeBron James is coming out of the Eastern there was Conference. Spurs and Nets for what yeah. two years there, and it was just brutal. And a weak Mavericks team, a weak by championship standards, a weak Mavericks team took on a young Dwayne Wade at one point. Like I, I think they would have been in the championship mix had they stuck together with it for seven or eight years. So, going back and watching that game, here's something that I had completely forgotten too. And and to me, it's a key to that win, and, and it's a key to where Flip had that team going. Did you notice in that game that Steph is pretty much the heartbeat of the team? Garnett makes some big plays, and Garnett's really good. But he's not the over-the-top, dynamic, consistent player as far as being the heartbeat of that team that Steph was on that night. As MJ comes through, puts it up. Garnett with a rebound, gets it out to Marbury. He pushes it up the floor. Marbury comes down, puts it up, and got it in foul by Ron Harper. Longley spins with a rolling hook just off, and Kevin Garnett with another rebound. Going to post Dennis up. Let's see, a long-distance three. Yeah, it's there. Stephon Marbury for the three. That's to take Tony here. Too easy, too easy that time, and they tie the score up. Marbury again. He was. Yeah. He's the guy, though, he makes plays, pounds his chest. I, I felt that in watching that game for the first time in what now, 20, 23 years or so, that that night in that game, which at the time, franchise history-wise, was a big deal, Steph Marbury was the heartbeat of that team. And Garnett plays a, a key role. I'm not trying to put him down, but I but I completely forgotten that Flip, and, and Flip had to be so pleased because Flip was a point guard. And how much did Flip demand, right? He was always all over his point guard. And his point guard was, in his mind, if not his most important player, certainly up there. And Steph Marbury, that night, and he shot 8 of 18, so he did not have a great night from the floor. But he hit some big shots, and at so many different junctures of that game where it could have gotten away from the Wolves, it's Steph Marbury who makes those key plays and sort of grounds that team. Yeah, and I keep, like... I get so nostalgic watching that game back because like, I was 12 years old was, during that game. It was fun. And was becoming this huge Timberwolves fan. And that was you know, that was the era of Minnesota sports where you had KG and Marbury rising up. Then the very next year, the, the Vikings draft Randy Moss. And it took, it took a few more years for the Twins to get into the mix. But, uh, but it was, I mean, at that time, the Twins were dormant and there was no professional hockey in this town. And the Vikings were coming off a run before they drafted Randy Moss where they made the playoffs on a regular basis, but they didn't really have a franchise quarterback. And so Stephon Marbury and Kevin Garnett, were they were the heartbeat of the sports city that's at a, that time. That's a fantastic point based on, on this. Before Moss came here, the Vikings had largely grown stale. Still popular, but if you go back... The uh, I believe it was the penultimate game against the Colts home game uh, or yeah home game in '97 is the last game that the Vikings had blacked out, and that's a playoff team, mm-hmm. and that was largely I always felt the crowd that followed them from Met Stadium, the old guard. They liked the Vikings, but it wasn't. But it took Moss uh, his arrival in '98 here to really change the dynamic to make the Vikings hip and cool. But go back and play just a brief snippet of the Marbury clip that you just played and listen behind him. Listen to that crowd and think to yourself, when's the last time that you heard a Target Center crowd like this? Especially on a regular basis. That, yeah. As MJ comes through, puts it up. Garnett with a rebound, gets it out to Marbury. He pushes it up the floor. Marbury comes down, puts it up, and got it in foul by Ron Harper. 92-89, Timberwolves with the lead, and now this crowd is starting to believe that they'll win. The Bulls don't want any fouls here. They just like to play some real good defense. 
Marbury drives baseline, bounces it to Hammonds, to uh -oh. Kevin Garnett on top from 20, Garnett. Yes, sir, beautifully done, Garnett with a 15-footer. That's all you want. That was a great shot, by the way. It was a little, just Guy a little, right little pull-up, elbow 15-footer. Really nice shot. Um, I mean, it was, uh, it was, it's hard to imagine the vibe and everything you felt watching that game and the reaction after they win the game and the streamers are coming down. And Stefan Marbury is like doing, he's like doing snow angels at center court. On I the think Timberwolves he kissed the floor. Yeah. He threw the ball up about 15 rows too in the first row. Yeah. In the first right after section. the buzzer sounds. Yeah. And KG is thumping his chest and literally one year later, it just got flushed. Yeah. And then they, they went on because KG was so good. They went on to still go to the playoffs six times. And but like how it's it's just such a classic Minnesota sports thing for you have that bottled up. You beat Michael Jordan's Bulls. You're on the rise with the best young tandem in the NBA. And then one year later, for absolutely no reason other than ego, and we will get to the Stefan Marbury portion of this. It's just gone. Um, in fact, let's get to the Stefan Marbury portion right now since we're cutting open this vein. Key question number two here on Minnesota Sports Rewind. How much did Stefan Marbury screw up oh, by forcing his way out? Massively. Immensely. Both uh, personal and Wolves-wise. He made a huge mistake because I, I think what put him over the edge was probably the KG contract. And he thought to himself, well, Glenn just paid KG this. I'm not going to get that. But if you go back and track this man's career, Phil, he goes what? He he wanted to go to the Knicks. He went to the Nets. Terrell Brandon, who was a, who was a good player, comes here, but then he's hurt quite a bit. Um, he screwed up because, in my mind, Stefan Marbury, as a young player here with KG, also had the ideal coach. The coach loved him. Flip yeah. loved him. Flip, Flip would have used him to Steph's last day, even as, as the game changed. Flip would have used him um, to the best of Steph's ability. He had the ideal coach. And to force his way out, it was a huge mistake and, and a gamble that was so selfish and, in retrospect, um, counterproductive to everybody involved. It's one of the biggest mistakes made, I think, by an athlete who has played in this town. So he wanted to get, a, in, in part, he wanted he wanted to run the show as the star, right? So he wanted to be the centerpiece. So ego was in play. He also wanted to live out east and live in New York, New Jersey, and that was part of it. Although I don't think that was, I think the broken ego part played more of a role than like, I just kind of want to go live back out east. Yeah. So he spent two and a half years with the New Jersey Nets after that trade. The year that he got traded, they went 16 and 34. The next year they went 31 and 55. Mm -hmm. And the year after that, they went 26 and 56. Stefan Marbury played 11 years in the NBA after that trade to New Jersey, and he bounced around to three or four different teams, right? In those 11 years, he finished above 500 twice. Twice. Yeah. That was it. Once with the Phoenix Suns, and then I believe the year after they fit, it was the 2002-2003 season with the Phoenix Suns, and uh, and they just didn't like his style of play and had a chance to get Steve Nash, so they traded Stefan Marbury. They got Steve. That Nash, might have been a good trade, by the and way. And they got even better two years ago or two years later when they won sixty games. The only other year, so that was that. That's really the only year that he finished above five hundred outside of the Timberwolves because I don't even count the second one was him as like the third point guard on the two thousand eight two thousand nine Boston Celtics where he was just like Rajon Rondo was their point guard. Yeah. And they just brought Stefan Marbury back because ah, what the hell? Like, let's rekindle the KG thing. He didn't even he he played no factor on that team, and uh, was not at all the reason why they finished above five hundred. So if you take that season out, he played ten more years in the NBA after that trade and finished above five hundred one time for what? Like for what? For ego? Yeah, he's a did... he's a bigger star in China yes than he is in the United States, and I think I think the biggest question would be all right, well. His career turned out to be, over those 10 years after he left the Timberwolves, a lot of great individual numbers. He was very much a 20 points per game guy who would get the 8 or 9 assists. And, mm -hmm. you know, he made some all-star games. In fact, uh, actually, he only made two all-star games. But uh, but he was he was a 20-point, 9-assist guy, and he put up numbers. Kind of a volume scorer who would shoot like 40%. Mm -hmm. I think he would have been a better version of himself under Flip Saunders, with Kevin Garnett, yeah. with everything they had being built there. So, like, on one hand, you can project out and say, well, Marbury never really lived up to how good he was supposed to be because he just, like, wasn't a winning player. But I think he was a winning player under Flip Saunders and with Kevin Garnett. I agree completely. Yes. Yes. And the other thing about that, 
at that time. And kids, I'm not lying here. It's true. The other thing about that team, that roster, that coach, that GM, Kevin McHale built a really good team. And Glenn Taylor owned that team. For all we can take, what now, last 15 years? 13 years? And say, what a train wreck. What a disaster. When Taylor bought that team and McHale had the, had the intestinal fortitude to draft KG, which took guts. That's a high school player, first time in 20 years. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I know it, it, in your mind, it didn't work out perfectly, but then you work the draft night trade and get Steph from the Bucks. The Wolves made some really, really good moves. And that roster, that game, Yes, that's a nice roster, a really good complementary mix of young players coming of age and veterans who flipped, flip used basically perfectly. Yeah, you had so you had Kevin Garnett and Stephon Marbury were 20 and 21 years old at that time, 1997-1998. Tom Gugliotta was maybe even the best player on the team. Like you could make a case for that and I have a key question off that in a second too. Okay. But he was 28, so you had this sort of this uh, workmanlike star in Tom Gugliotta, and that was your that was your three headed monster, and the veterans you put around. So Anthony Peeler was a sniper shooter from the Los Angeles Lakers earlier on that decade, and you bring him in as a guy who can just sit out there. He shot forty five percent from three point range that season, which is something you didn't see very often in nineteen ninety seven. Terry Porter, people forget like Terry Porter on those Blazers teams that went to the NBA Finals and played against Michael Jordan. Terry Porter was scoring 18 points a game for an Eastern Conference, or I'm sorry, a Western Conference championship team, right? Mm-hmm. And and he's in there playing 20, 25 minutes a game. Doug West, the veteran from the early days I of he was still there at this, Timberwolves history. This game, yes. And Sam Mitchell was playing 30 minutes a night as a 34 year old. Uh, and so, you, and then and then all kinds of other guys like Cherokee Parks, Tom Hammonds, these reliable rebounding big men, Stanley Roberts, Chris Carr, I think won a dunk contest at one point, and he's coming off the bench as as just a wing athlete type. So um, those rosters were, we think back on the Kevin McHale era and think, oh my God, what a train wreck. You know, how could you not put right. a secondary star on Garnett for all those years? And how could you blow four first round picks with signing Joe Smith under the table? And those things are all very much a part of his resume as well. But he found KG, he found Stefan Marbury as a great compliment, and they built out this great set of complimentary players, and they, they had it. They had it. That's what I'm saying. And Stephon I, Marbury. I think, this was, I think that that was going to be a finals team. I really do. Because for that era of basketball, for what that GM and coach were trying to do, it all gelled. It really did. I'm getting I'm getting sad. Just Steph broke the group I, I up. I, I can't finish Steph the episode. Quit, Steph quit the group. I'm, I need to... I need a moment. The the only thing, the only question that I would, God bless him, love to go back and ask Flip about that game was, you really started Chris Carr on MJ that night because he did. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There was like I mean, one. Who, I mean, like who were you? at one point? KG well, they, was going to too. They flipped KG to him, and KG was was not as fast, but at least young it's and a praying he mantis, and he could move. Poor Chris Carr. Chris Carr's like. What do you want me to do? This is Michael yeah. Jordan. <laughs> MJ top of the circle with Garnett on him. Six on the shot clock. Michael goes by him off the glass, puts it in. By the way, uh, heck of a broadcast on the Bulls side there. We had that. We the, the only thing that's on YouTube for, for the full game yes. is the Johnny Red Kerr uh, Chicago is Sports Channel. It was literally sports called Channel Sports Channel in with, Chicago with yes, 1997 sir. commercials baked in too, which yes. was just as great. Aren't they great? <laughs> yeah, Discover Card and plenty of other things. Choice Bank, I think, was in there. It's pretty amazing. Mullets in play. Yeah. Okay, here's another key question for you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to Tom Hanneman, who was the sideline reporter at the time, interviewed Kevin Garnett right after this game was over. Is Tom Gugliotta the most underrated player in Timberwolves history? Ooh, I wish I had time to think about Have that Have you guys one. ever gone back and look? Like, I remember as a kid, I just he, remember Googly Oogly, he, baby. He, he made an all-star game. He might have been obtained in one of the three best trades the Wolves have, have ever made, though. From I'll the Bullets. I'll tell you that. Right? No, no. He went from the Bullets to the Warriors. Okay. The Wolves drafted Danielle Marshall out of UConn. But McHale, to his credit, realized Danielle Marshall might have not liked basketball as much as he thought. So instead of just swallowing hard and being like, yeah, he'll he'll be fine, 
he flips them really quickly to the Warriors for Googs. And and I was at the game, and he didn't play, but Googs was obtained, I want to say, on like a Friday or Saturday. And Don and I were in the upper deck. The Wolves were playing Shaquille O'Neal and the Magic at home, and they brought Googs in and said, please welcome the newest Timberwolf, Tom, and he came out and waved. And he was pretty well known. Um, he is among probably the most unheralded but really good players. Dude, his numbers? He's I've, a hell of a player. So I'm just going to give you his numbers from that 1997-98 season, which he was an all-star the year before. I think so he's Kate, 28 at this point? 28. Okay. He's in his prime. He's playing 39 minutes a night. So 1997-98, Tom Gugliotta averaged 20 points, 9 rebounds, and 4 assists, a steal and a half, and shot 50% from the field. Yeah. And 82% from the free, free throw line. That's absurd. <laughs> the year before, he was 21 points a game, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, and a steal and a half. He's a really... Made the All-Star yeah, game. Yeah, th- that was a great trade. It was a really great trade and by I, McHale. I think part of the story was him and Stefan Marbury did not see eye to eye. I've heard differing things, yeah. And the irony is Stefan Marbury, so Googs gets traded to Phoenix yep. and spends basically the rest of his career. He spent the next five years in Phoenix, and two years later he was not the same player. I think he had some injuries and stuff. Yep. Um, but the funny thing is Stefan Marbury got traded to Phoenix as well after his three years in New Jersey. So they wound up teammates for like two years in Phoenix at the end of things, but... But think about that, you know, KG and Marbury, and mm-hmm. then Gugliotta's like, oh, yeah, that's right, Gugliotta was on those teams. Yeah, oh, that's right, he averaged 29 no, he and was a key 4 part. and shot 50%. He was a- absolutely key. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. May I say this? In watching that that game back, I had forgotten a little bit, at least, about the love of the long two. Oh, man, have both you, teams, both teams. Have you ever seen more long twos? And I'm talking about really good players who now would never do this. Yes. They all pull up and just shoot the long two. I mean, think about the, the plays being drawn up in the triangle, too. And like Luke, like one of the plays that they hit on, the Bulls did five different times, was Luke Longley, 12 feet, baseline, just wide open, or someone in his face, and it was just a shot that was part of their system. Or guys who, who could have gotten or got the ball, could have taken a step back and shot a three. Would you shoot? Oh, no. the, would shoot the two? And KG was. I, I was going to say was as guilty, but it wasn't guilt. Like that was the that was how you played in KG's era. KG took so many shots from like two feet inside the three point line, mm-hmm. and he was good at hitting those shots. Yes. So, but you know, still, it was efficient for him. It's but, hilarious to watch yeah. now. All right, let's do this. We have a couple things to dive into here on the other side of this Minnesota Sports Rewind. We're going to get Kevin Garnett stories. And a look inside the game that we're rewinding to. The 1997 December 30th win. Michael Jordan's Bulls slayed by the Timberwolves for the first time. The first real trademark win in Timberwolves franchise history. And Tom Hanneman will tell us some stories. Plus, was the victory tainted a little bit because of the hoax that was pulled on Michael Jordan at halftime of this thing? It's Minnesota Sports Rewind here on Score North. You can podcast all episodes of Minnesota Sports Rewind, including a deep dive into the greatest Twins team that never was last week and all kinds of great Vikings episodes that we have posted as well, including deep dives into the 2009 Favre arrival. Minnesota Sports Rewind, anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify. 92-89, Timberwolves with the lead, and now this crowd is starting to believe that they'll win. Now the Bulls don't want any fouls here. They just like to play some real good defense. Marbury drives baseline, bounces it to Hammonds to Uh-oh. Kevin Garnett on top from 20. Garnett. Yes, sir. Beautifully done. Garnett with a 15. That's all you Man, want. that's courtesy of Sports Channel, 1997 Sports Channel in Chicago. We are a half hour into this episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind, focusing on the 1997 win by the Minnesota Timberwolves over Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls. At the time, it was the trademark win of the Timberwolves' rise up during that era. Um, and, of course, a year later, Stefan Marbury's ego decided that he was uh, good with it all. But Tom Hanneman, first of all, Phil Mackey here, Judd Zolgad. Before we dive in, we'd love some stories. We know that you were on the court and you were part of that broadcast team, but... How are you? And uh, it's great to great to hear you on the show here today. Phil and Jed, I'm fine. Thanks, uh, thanks for giving me a call. Uh, you know, most Wolves fans, and I'm in that grouping as well, have spent most of their life trying to forget about games rather than remember. But th- this was one that uh, <laughs> that stands out, and uh, for all good reasons, it took nine seasons 
for the franchise to have a, a winning record in that year, 97, 98, uh, was the first time. And uh, I, I know that there was some mocking going on at the time uh, with uh, the, the Bulls announced team afterwards after the game about, yeah, do you guys look like you were celebrating a championship. And indeed, I think that, that fans felt that way. It was the closest thing that we had come into and to beat the mighty Michael Jordan, who went on to continue a you know a string of championships with that Bulls team that year, uh, was a pretty big deal. And uh, about as exciting a moment until you got to the uh, uh, the, the series win uh, years later against Denver and then uh, Sacramento. But uh, it, it it was an amazing night in in so many ways. I know you've already delved into the. Uh, the Jordan component that night, and uh, it, it it made it interesting. But the, the fact was, very few people had any idea that any of that was going on at the time. So, uh, being a sideline reporter, uh, I, I did the halftime show that, uh, that we did every game, and and uh, there's no Jordan. Yeah, and you're you're looking for Michael Jordan, of course, because you're following his every move and. So I run backstage and uh, to the locker room area and uh, don't see anyone. And after a couple minutes, here's Michael walking out of uh, Sheldon Burns, the team physician's uh, door. And he'd been on the phone and with Tim Hallam, the Bulls' longtime PR director. And uh, they, Tim said he's not talking. And we were able to find out, but not immediately what was going on, but yeah, Michael was 0 for 5, I think, uh, in the third quarter of that game, and, and obviously it weighed heavily upon him because he didn't know whether it was true or not and uh, was able to find out later, but uh, had kind of a, a rugged second half, and that played into it. But uh, it, the game stood out for a lot of reasons, and most of them were very good. So, Tom, the, the, st- uh, the story was that Jordan or the Wolves got the call correct and passed on the information, because clearly this is in the pre-cell phone days, that Jordan's uh, mom had been rushed to the hospital, and then I think they got subsequent calls. Did we ever uh, get a lead in retrospect as to where the uh, crank calls might have come from? Because that that, that now is impossible, but going back and seeing the uh, turmoil that the guy went through that night, um, that would be a lot to go through for anybody. Yeah, it would. It would, yeah. Uh, Dolores Jordan, his mom, uh, and the call came into the Target Center switchboard, as I understand, and a uh, security guard, and I don't know why this happened, approached Jordan uh, as the team was leaving the floor at halftime, and of course, you know, he has no idea. Right. No one has any idea whether it's true or not, and his mind is immediately focused elsewhere, so... um, uh, still, this is a guy that in his career averaged over 29 points a game against the Wolves. So uh, to have an off night, he scored 33 points on an off night. Yeah. Uh, it tells you something about the guy. Uh, what are one or two of your favorite interactions or stories about young Kevin Garnett in, in that in that first three or four years rising up before, you know, before Stefan Marbury decided he wanted to leave and before things got a little tumultuous? What, what are a couple of your favorite anecdotes you can share with us? Well, there's a, not, a lot of them. Uh, they're all in the book, uh, which hasn't been written yet. Uh, <laughs> By the way, if that book gets written, we will plug the you-know-what out of it. So let us know. <laughs> you know, the problem with writing books like that, kind of tell-alls, and, and most of them are very happy, is uh, you end up bruising a lot of uh, <laughs> friendships and, and egos. So. It's, it's probably kept a, a few books from being written, but stories can be told. And, uh, you know, we love KG from, from the moment that he arrived and, uh, you know, the, the, the first drills that he went through in St. Cloud at the time uh, where the team uh, was starting their training camp and, you know, tossing his cookies into a garbage can nearby, you know, he was so excited and so amped and, and thinking, you know, is this kid always like this? And, of course, we, we came to find out, yes. I got a chance uh, because I was working sidelines and working as a reporter doing feature stories. We had to have a couple every game uh, to get over his, to his apartment uh, 
his rookie year, he lived uh, in a spot across from Ridgedale and had a couple dogs. And this is at a time that the department was filled with potato chips and uh, uh, a lot of junk food, a very young and raw Kevin Garnett. But I, uh, I just, I love the guy. I mean, it was hard not to love him. He was so open and so honest. And I feel badly in that uh, the last few years of his time with the Timberwolves, before he came back, uh, there, <laughs> this was not quite the same guy I think a lot of people felt. And uh, I think some of the early years of Kevin Garnett were forgotten in the, uh, in the processes. A lot of us have looked back here with the uh, Hall of Fame news uh, this week. But uh, uh Kevin was a character and uh, was someone that was interested in in interacting with people. And he did so many things that he asked me not to report on. Not to, and, and this was charitable stuff. Uh, for the first eight years or so that he was with the Wolves, uh, so many of the great stories really are, are tough to kind of clean up a little bit, and that sounds awful, but uh, uh, he, he just was a remarkable player, and, and everyone will say the same thing about Kevin Garnett that spent any time with him. There was no off button at any time, uh, whether it was practice, whether it was game, whether it was on the plane. You know, this is back in a time early on, guys, when uh, w- the media, even those of us working for the team, were asked, uh, to the back of the plane to play cards with players, you know, and it, it was obviously they're out of our league economically, but it was a, a quarter a point type of thing. Uh, you know, those days changed dramatically uh, in, in a very short time when, you know, when stories of Reggie Miller uh, and Charles Barkley dropping $30,000 a hand on some of the poker games that they played. But, uh, uh, I, I've got a ton of stories about KG, and uh, so many of them are are off the court. But uh, all I can tell you is, uh, really, a remarkable guy, and I'm I'm excited for uh, what lies ahead for him this this fall. It's pretty pretty cool thing. So, Tom, uh, to, to go back to that night and that game too, and I hadn't watched that, that game since that night, but it was so intriguing to watch it to see how. How hip and cool the wolves were! How, how the fans truly had bought in, and and that's a building that that's a young that's a young nucleus of players with veterans at the time who were uh, who were uh, stability factors. But tell me this: in watching that, the one thing that stood out to me crystal clear was the heartbeat of that team. That not uh, KG was, but that Steph was, and. As you watched that game from the sideline that night, what was your feeling on Steph? How do you feel that if Steph hadn't forced it his way out, things would have gone for the Wolves? And among the sad things in this team's history, and there's lots of those things, where does that uh, forced divorce back in 1999 now rank? Well, uh it, I, can, I can't tell you how excited uh, we were working for the team at the time to have found a way to capture Steph Marbury in the trade for Ray Allen. Uh, <laughs> you look back on it now and you wonder, what if? What if it hadn't been made? But that's, that's another story. Uh, I, there's some unforgettable things with Steph Marbury. Uh, the morning that we learned... And we're driving over in the, on the team bus uh, for shoot-around in Oakland that Steph had forced his way into a trade. Um, and we knew there had been some conversation. but So Steph is, is on the bus and gets off, and, uh, you know, he's good morning, good afternoon, good night with a smile on his face to people. Sam Mitchell, when he heard about what had transpired, got so angry uh, right in front of Steph, took the rack of basketballs and flung them at the, at the uh, Oracle, uh, flung them into the second deck, kicked them over. I mean, he was in many ways a team leader, uh, certainly at that time and for many seasons. 
he felt that Steph was disrespecting the team and the players and, uh, uh, you know, people backed down to Sam Mitchell. When Sam Mitchell uh, got into the altercation a year earlier in the playoffs against uh, Houston, against Kevin Willis, I think it was game two and got a flagrant two, Charles Barkley uh, told me afterwards, because I figured, you know, Charles would defend Kevin Willis. He said, oh, no, you don't mess with Sam Mitchell. He said, that, that's one guy that I would not mess with. And it, it was kind of a turning point in the franchise that they were thought of as, as not the pushover, even though Houston swept that series. But Sam was livid and let Steph know, and, and Steph kind of quietly went away. Now, many years later, I think it was 2007, I'm doing a, a Wolves game uh, with Jim Pete, and I look back about five rows, and there's Steph Marbury. He had retired, uh, well, he wasn't playing for the NBA. His, his career was done before he went over to China. And during a commercial break, I got up and walked over, and I knew him fairly well and, and was excited to see him and, and said, hey, would you – sit down with us for a while. Fans would love to hear from you. And to my surprise, he said, yes. And we had uh, intermixed within that quarter. I thought one of the most interesting conversations with a guy, all the questions that you asked me about, where would the team be? What would have happened had he decided uh, to stay and not let his ego and, and uh, all the people around him who told him in, in New York that you're better and you deserve more and you shouldn't be there. He owned up and said it was it was a horrible mistake on my part. I think about it a lot. Wow. Uh, he he was contrite. He was I was shocked. Uh, and and as sad as it, the chapter was, I was kind of pleased that a he had grown up and b that he understood what had occurred and what he missed out on. But I, I think he was all in and understanding how special that Timberwolves team would have been had he stayed, uh, which. You know, you remember him talking about what he missed in, in New York. I miss opening the window at night on a winter night and hearing cabs honking endlessly. And I thought, <laughs> well, I don't know how many of us will miss opening the window at night in a winter situation in New York or Minneapolis. But uh, I, I do think he missed it, but <laughs> he messed up. And and I, I, I think he realized it even back then. Yeah. Um so Tom Hanneman, I, it, it's my belief that you you bring up the Ray Allen thing. I think I think this holds true if Stephon Marbury stays, and I think this holds true if they just keep Ray Allen in the nineteen ninety six draft. Because Stephon Marbury, just to just to loop this around to my to my point, Stephon Marbury played ten more years in the NBA after the Timberwolves traded him and finished above five hundred once legitimately. I'm not counting his last year in Boston where he just kind of came in as like the third guard off the bench. Um, I think if he would have stayed with the Timberwolves, I think he was a winning player under Flip. I think he was a winning player with Kevin Garnett and Ego and everything you just talked about uh, got the best of him and he regrets it. But there was a soft spot in the NBA in like 2004 through oh, yeah. 2007 before LeBron James took over the league and after Michael Jordan was gone and after the Lakers dynasty had kind of dissolved. And yes, you still had the Spurs and you still had formidable teams. But if KG is emerging into his physical prime... And Stefan Marbury had stayed the course. I, I honestly think we're talking about championships. Or if you had kept Ray Allen. I mean, I think just putting a legitimate sidekick around Kevin Garnett and building that thing and, and riding it for seven or eight years, I think we're talking a championship. Yeah, NBA, I, I agree, Phil. I, NBA titles are all about windows. And uh, I think that the Wolves were set up uh, with either one of those players uh, to have a window. You know, Marbury was just 21 years old when he left the Wolves. Um, you know, and he goes on, he had seven straight seasons where he averaged over 20 points a game uh, and, you know, got what he thought he wanted in terms of uh, the adulation and he was the man on those teams for the most part. And But what he missed out on and uh, <laughs> was something far more important and and sadly in the process wolves fans missed out on that as well and and they're well aware of that but fortunately there were no other disappointments that would come <laughs> in the future of, 
for the Timberwolves. So that oh. helped that it was the only time. By the way, there is one breaking right now that I, I we, we, we'll we get to it here in a second. There's some breaking KG news, but go ahead, Judd. So, Tom, do do you miss two things, the parquet floor and long twos? Because, baby, in watching that 97 <laughs> game, I actually missed the parquet floor, but everybody and their brother shot long twos back then, and really, if, if you shot a three, I think you got looked at a little bit sideways. You know, that season, I took a look at this uh, uh, this morning, that season the Wolves, as a team, attempted 308 three-point shots. Mm. And Steph Curry, you know, has, has attempted 889 in a single season in his career, and so obviously things have changed dramatically, yeah, and the analytics didn't exist, but it, it's kind of commonsensical, isn't it, that uh, <laughs> that a long two is maybe the worst shot you can take, but uh, things were evolving. I love that court. I, I did. I, I, I I'm really serious. Yeah, it. it was great. Yeah, it, it was terrific. And, um, yeah, I'm amazed, guys, how uh, how loyal Timberwolves fans have remained through the ups and downs. And it's sadly primarily downs. This is a franchise that I love. I worked for the uh, team for 23 years. Love to see them rise up, and we're all hoping it would happen. But uh, people love it. And maybe it is. Uh, maybe it is that so many of us grew up with this franchise. And so they're in a sweet spot that way. I know that that inaugural year when there's over a million fans and the Metrodome wasn't exactly a, a, a conducive basketball arena, uh, but people were just fired up and excited. And uh, uh, there's, there were a lot of great memories. Sadly, it took uh, as mentioned nine years to get something uh, like a win over Michael Jordan and the Bulls, but uh, now you you look at what the Wolves went on and did against Seattle in after that win later in the spring, and uh, I agree with the premise that this team with Steph Marbury, especially, you know, Charles Barkley gathered Marbury and Garnett at the end of the first ever playoff series the Wolves were involved in. The Rockets swept them, but the last game. Uh, Minnesota showed, uh, I think that the potential was, was really there. And Barkley grabs these two guys and said, Hey, you guys, you two stay together. You're going to get some rings. And I don't think he was doing it just to be kind or yeah. nice. I think Charles Barkley really believed that. Yeah. That's Tom Hanneman, everybody. Longtime Timberwolves announcer, reporter, broadcaster, everything. Um, and storyteller, and we appreciate you coming on this episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind. And we will not put you on the spot with this, but when we uh, when we hang up here, uh, go to the Athletic and read the story about Kevin Garnett, the Q and A with Kevin Garnett that just came out, where he uh, he uh, unveils some of his feelings about Glenn Taylor and pour a stiff drink, even though it's only eleven fifty one in the morning right now. All right. <laughs> I can hardly wait. Right. More wolves, <laughs> drama, Thanks so much. Thanks, right. Tom. See you, Tom. That is uh, Tom Hanneman, just one of the best dudes in the industry. One of the nicest guys you'll ever will come across. So it's not often we get breaking news during an episode of Minnesota Sports Rewind that fits the episode of Minnesota Sports but Rewind. We just but, got it. But we're just going to read this. This is from an athletic Q&A with Kevin Garnett, and there's a bunch of stuff they dive into, but uh, the question was in regards to the Celtics retiring Kevin Garnett's jersey before the Timberwolves will retire his jersey. And Kevin Garnett says, quote, Glenn Taylor knows where I'm at. I'm not entertaining it. First of all, it's not genuine. Number two, he's getting pressure from a lot of fans, and I guess the community there. Glenn and I had an understanding before Flip died, and when Flip died, that understanding went with Flip. For that, I won't forgive Glenn. I won't forgive him for that. I thought he was a straight-up person, straight-up businessman, and when Flip died, everything went with him. There's no reason to complain. Just continue to move on. My years in Minnesota and in that community, I cherish. At this point, I don't want any dealings with Glenn Taylor or Taylor Corporation or anything that has to do with him. I love my Timberwolves. I'll always love my guys. I'll always love the people who who bleep with me there. Yeah, that's I'll, uh, yeah, they're yeah, be careful. There's a few bleeps in there. I'll always have a special place for the city of Minneapolis and the state of Minnesota in my heart. But I don't do business with snakes. I don't do business with snake MFers. Mm-hmm, that's not nice. Either. I try not to do business with 
openly snakes or people who are snake-like. It's a lot of snakes. That's, that's not, a lot. Sna- not a snake guy myself, so I can I get what you're saying. Indiana Jones wasn't a snake that's guy a either. A lot of snake guys. A lot of snakes. Right yeah. So yeah. So um, it's not. Uh, so it's not going to uh, no. take place for quite some time. We'll do a deep dive into that on Mackie and Joe with Rami today. I want to wrap this episode here by asking you this question. When you go back and look at Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marbury and the game that we are diving into, which is the first real trademark breakthrough win in Timberwolves history, the win over Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls at Target Center in 1997. One of the things I thought of when I watched that game play out and the energy and just the 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 bond between Marbury and Garnett mm-hmm. and Flip and the and the fans like everything was just this symbiotic relationship that had the Wolves on a trajectory to potentially take over the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. And yes, they popped up a few years later and they went to the Western Conference Finals and Sam Cassell to Charles Sprewell. But really, like we've spent most of the last twenty to twenty five years trying to recapture yeah. what we felt in the late nineties, yes. right? With a couple little pop ups here yes. and there. Do you think Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell? realize or even want the responsibility that they have when it comes to Wolves fans and putting the organization back on that level. Oh, boy, I sure don't have that. that, On paper, that's the responsibility that they have been given. It's a different era, different time. People are different now. I don't know that I can say I've seen that. And keep in mind, too, as Tom said, and this is the most important thing, and this can be bad at times, but it also can be good, Phil. KG was wired differently. Cat's not wired like that. KG was going to, in his mind, win. And he was going to do exactly what that took. And Flip then went and got him that, that complimentary piece. And in 1996, that was a point guard who was fantastic. Do I think that you can do it with a point guard and center that you currently have? I have no clue. I just... Really, it was so much fun to go back and watch that game, though, to realize where this team was at at one time. And unless you fully comprehend it, I honestly think it right now it's damn near impossible to understand that. Like, if I just tell you that, Mm -hmm. so if you just tuned in and you're like, this is fun, man. So the Wolves were like, I can tell you that and articulate it to you. But understanding that is tough. 92-89, 92-89, Timberwolves with the lead, and now this crowd is starting to believe that they'll win. Now the Bulls don't want any fouls here. They just like to play some real good defense. Marbury drives baseline, bounces it to Hammonds, to Uh-oh. Kevin Garnett on top from 20. Garnett. Yes, sir. Beautifully done. Garnett with a 15-footer. Yeah. Declan, where you were you were growing up. I'm assuming you kind of grew up in the KG era. So, too, true right? story, this is actually the first sporting game I ever attended. Really, dude? I was five years old. And um, it, I remember, I briefly remember the significance of it just because um, my dad remember telling me that it was the first time we're actually going to beat Michael Jordan. So <laughs> well, I, don't, he called, I don't, he, he called it before he the did, game. He called it. I remember driving in the, in the 91 Volvo that we had <laughs> to the game. Um, and yeah, it was one of my earliest memories. My uncle had season tickets. So yeah, it was the first sporting event actually I ever attended. And yeah, KG and Marbury, man, I had a Marbury jersey growing up. Um, I think it was a hand-me-down for my brother, technically, but I, that's, you're right that they were the most polarizing athletes in town at the time. And they were, for the late 90s kids, they're athletes. I mean, this was... The, the, the 1997 Twins were a disaster. The North Stars were gone. <laughs> yeah. And the Vikings were just sort and of... Moss was not uh, here yet. Yeah, you know? That's exactly right. This was it, man. This was it. This was fun. And that's a wrap on another episode. Fun, that was a fun game to watch, Minnesota man. Sports Rewind. You can binge all of our episodes... Anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, the Score North app, which is free to download. Much more on the breaking Kevin Garnett comments about Glenn Taylor in The Athletic on Score North Live today and on Mackie and Jeb with Rami a little bit later. Thanks for listening.